Episode 7, Handling Criticism. This is the Expat Mom Podcast, a podcast for expat moms around the world who want to feel better and improve their emotional health as they navigate the unique challenges of living and mothering abroad. I'm your host, Jenny Linton. I'm a certified life coach, a mom to four daughters, and married to a U.S. diplomat. I've lived in six countries on four continents. I know what it's like to feel stuck emotionally, and I know how to get unstuck. I'm excited to share with you some tools to help you feel less discouraged, improve your relationships, and increase your confidence. Today's topic is dealing with criticism. It doesn't really matter where we live in the world. When we interact with other humans, we experience criticism. And if you have a normal human brain, you'll likely feel offended when someone criticizes you. Today, we're going to break down why we feel offended when someone criticizes us. We're also going to look at typical responses to criticism and why they don't work. And finally, I'm going to offer you a simple tool for handling criticism that will allow you to leave the exchange feeling confident, but also loving of the other person. One time my daughter was helping me spray off the porch. She accidentally sprayed our doorbell. For some reason, the water got all into the wiring and it caused the doorbell to play over and over again. At first, I just ignored it, assuming it would stop, but it didn't. It was driving all of us crazy. So I went out with a towel and I tried to dry it off or push it in, hoping that it would stop, but no luck. Finally, I had to use three different screwdrivers to disconnect the entire doorbell wiring in order to stop the repeated ringing. Sometimes our brain works like this. Someone criticizes us and we feel offended. At first, we might kind of ignore it or try to say to ourselves, it's not a big deal, just let it go. And then a few minutes later, we're right back to feeling offended and it keeps replaying over and over and over again. Sometimes it can even be hard to focus because we just keep thinking about this criticism. Sometimes we feel shame or inadequacy because someone didn't like what we did or said. Or we might feel resentment and irritation. Sometimes we start playing over in our minds how we wish we would have responded or how we're going to tell the person off who criticized us. One of my old roommates used to say, I spend so much time creating mean conversations in my head. Whether we're feeling shame and inadequacy or we're feeling resentment and irritation, we feel terrible when someone criticizes us. Broken doorbell syndrome is common when you've been offended. If we don't take action to disconnect the current wiring in our brain, just like I had to disconnect the doorbell, then we never figure out why it keeps tripping, and we have to continue to listen to the annoying replay of the criticism. Today, I want to offer you a simple tool you can use when someone criticizes you so that you can avoid this broken doorbell syndrome. The tool includes two questions you can ask yourself, and I'm going to introduce it to you by sharing a little story about my girls. My daughters love to do art. And one day, one of my daughters told another daughter that the freckles on her self-portrait looked red. Immediately, the other daughter was offended and she shot back, that's so rude. The face on yours looks creepy. The back and forth continued until I intervened. After I calmed the girls down, we talked about two questions that have been helpful for me to ask when I've been criticized. The first one is, Is what they're saying true or partly true? And the second one is, do I want to do something about it? Then I asked my daughter, 
Do you think that it's true that the freckles you drew look red? She said, yeah, I guess they do. Then I asked her, well, do you want to change the freckles? She said that she was fine with how they looked. And once we were able to establish these two things, they were able to move on without the drama. Our automatic response to criticism is usually negative. Let's start by breaking down why we feel so bad when someone criticizes us. Usually, we either make criticism mean something is wrong with me or something is wrong with them. Both causes us to feel terrible. For example, maybe you're busy doing something and a child comes in and asks for help. You tell the child you can't help right now. They say, you're always busy. Your automatic response might be to feel guilty. Maybe you agree with them and you feel like you should help them. Or maybe you feel irritated with them and you think something like, they should be more patient and less demanding. They don't realize everything I do for them. Either of these automatic responses feel awful. You leave the exchange feeling bad about yourself and about the other person. And the exchanges caused by these kinds of feelings usually damage our relationships. You can spare yourself and others a lot of negativity by placing a little bit of space between the criticism and your reaction to it. In that space, ask yourself the two questions that I mentioned above, and this will allow you to decide if there is some truth in the criticism and decide what you want to make it mean and how you want to respond. Question number one, is there truth in this criticism? Criticism often contains at least an element of truth. However, it can be difficult to accept the truth that someone else is telling us because the criticism's unsolicited. Maybe it's said in a rude tone of voice or with unkind words, or just because it's humiliating to have our inadequacies pointed out. However, if we choose to ignore criticism or worse, criticize back, we miss an important opportunity. Criticism can actually be helpful. It can be a catalyst to improve ourselves reflect on our choices, and strengthen our relationships. However, it requires some deliberate effort to respond in a helpful way. One of my clients was frustrated that her husband would come home after work and express irritation about their messy house. She felt defensive when he said this, and she often snapped at him. Both of them ended up feeling terrible. So I asked her question number one, do you think the house is messy? She said, yes. I pointed out that she agreed with the very thing that she was angry at her husband for verbalizing. Just having the realization that there was truth in his criticism helped to dispel a little bit of her frustration about the situation. Next, we looked at what she was making his comment mean. She said when her husband came home and said the house was a mess, she felt inadequate, like she wasn't being the mom or the wife she wanted to be. She also felt angry because she felt like her husband didn't appreciate all she was doing every day. Then I asked her question number two, do you want to change how you manage the house? At first she said yes, but as we assessed what she would have to give up in order to keep the house clean, she changed her mind. She said she cleaned in the morning, in the afternoon she spent time with her kids and made a healthy dinner for her family. As she considered all her priorities, she decided she didn't want to give up that time with her kids, even though the house would be a little cleaner. I pointed out that instead of making her husband's comment about the messy house mean that she was inadequate, she could use his comment as proof that she was living according to her priorities. In thinking about it, she realized that she was okay with a little bit of a messy house in the evenings because it meant that she was following through with her priorities of spending time with her family. 
evaluating her husband's criticism in this way allowed her to see herself in a different way. When we evaluate the truth in other people's criticism, it allows us to stop hiding and it allows us to stop blaming. Then we can choose how to respond. Sometimes criticism isn't true and recognizing this can be just as helpful as accepting the truth in criticism. When we feel unfairly accused of something, we tend to feel angry, irritated, and resentful. But sometimes people don't understand the whole situation. People can be hasty to jump to conclusions, or they may be simply trying to elevate themselves by putting others down. When we can clearly recognize that criticism is false, we don't have to be hurt by it. If a stranger walked up to you and said, your nose is purple, you likely wouldn't be offended. You'd probably shrug and think it was odd. But because you know it isn't true, there's no reason to be hurt by it. In fact, instead of being hurt by the criticism, it might cause you to feel curiosity or even compassion for the other person. You might ask yourself, I wonder why that person said that, or wow, it must be tough to see the world that way. That's a challenging way to live. If others are making unfair criticisms, it often says much more about them than it does about you. One of my first jobs was at a bagel shop. One day, one of my coworkers said, you're so fake. At the time, I was really confused and hurt by the comment. I felt really self-conscious and I tried not to be fake, even though I wasn't even sure what she meant. In retrospect, as an adult, I look back and realize her criticism was totally wrong. I enjoyed being at work and I liked interacting with the customers. My attitude did irritate her, but she often complained about her job and tried to do the least amount possible. Looking back, a good... A good response would have been to recognize what she said wasn't true. I was acting authentically to how I felt. In fact, when I tried to act in a way that didn't seem fake to my coworker, I was fake. I was making her criticism true. Most of the negativity from this situation with my coworker came from the fact that I believed her untrue criticism. I agreed that maybe I was being fake. Simply recognizing that I didn't agree could have helped me untangle my own feelings of hurt and move forward. Another important element of deciding if a criticism is true is looking at what you're making it mean. Sometimes we take something true and make it mean something that is not true. Determining the meaning you attach to the fact is essential to reducing the negativity around criticism. For example, I live in China and it's a bit unusual to have four daughters in a country where most people have one or two children. I often get the comment, wow, you have such a big family. You really have your hands full. If I ask myself, is this true? The answer is probably yes, compared to the family size of one or two that they are used to. My family must feel very large to them. And it is busy having four kids. However, I could make this fact mean a variety of things when someone says this to me. I can make it mean that I don't fit in in this culture. I can make it mean that my family's too large. I can make it mean that the other people don't accept me because I have more children than the average person. I can make it mean that it's embarrassing to go out. I can make it mean that they don't view me as capable of handling my children. All of these things are untrue meanings that I would be adding to their comment. These kind of comments cause unnecessary suffering. So it's important to ask yourself, what am I making this mean about myself? What am I making it mean about the other person? Do you make their criticism mean they're rude and insensitive? 
Do you make it mean they shouldn't have said it? Do you make it mean that they don't care about you or that they're a person struggling just like you? Do you make it mean that this could be a great chance to communicate more clearly or that it's okay if they're wrong about you? The filter that you pass criticism through will greatly impact how you decide to respond. So in summary, the first question you ask yourself when someone criticizes you is, is it true or is there an element of truth in it? Now we're going to move on to question number two. Do you want to do something about it? Once you've evaluated whether there is truth in the criticism or not, and you've identified what you're making it mean, it's time to decide what you want to do about it. You can decide that you want to take steps to change, or you can decide you're happy with the way things are. Sometimes you do want to change. When someone makes a comment or a critique, they've likely been affected by your words or your behavior in some way. Understanding this can be helpful feedback in deciding how you want to act in the future. It's almost like playing pool. The more you shoot a ball, the more familiar you become with the angles that the ball bounces against the side or the other balls, and you become better at getting your ball in the net. Criticism can be important information that allows us to adjust and become more effective at living and relating to others. As we change our behavior, we continue to get more feedback and adjust until we're able to become the best version of ourselves. Many years ago, we went out to dinner with some friends. One of the spouses kept interrupting the other spouse to correct them. After the outing, my friend confronted her husband. I may not be 100% accurate when I share things, but it drives me crazy when you keep interrupting me. It makes me feel like I don't want to say anything. I was interested in the husband's response as well. He was humble enough to listen and find the truth in her comment. He agreed that he had interrupted too much and he felt bad about it. As I have watched this couple over the years, I've noticed his efforts to try to listen better. He also decided that he would feel awkward if he didn't say something to us to align his behavior with who he wanted to be. He emailed us to let us know that he felt bad for interrupting her so much during the meal. I was impressed with how he used her criticism as a catalyst for change. Because he was willing to adjust his behavior based on her criticism, it improved their relationship and it increased his confidence. When someone gives us criticism, it's a wonderful chance to evaluate our reasons for doing something. It's easy to get into habits of doing things without remembering why we do them. Usually our brains have a good reason for doing what they do, like the example I just shared. Sometimes as we think through our reasons for doing something, we decide it's time to change, or maybe we didn't even realize we were doing something. However, sometimes as we evaluate what we've done, we may decide that we want to keep doing the behavior, even if it's something that someone else doesn't like. I'm not talking about belligerently doing something that bothers someone just to spite them, or trying to do something unkind. I mean the sincere process of reviewing our reasons for doing something and redeciding we do feel good about what we're doing. The process of reviewing gives us confidence in why we're doing it. This confidence can allow us to have more energy and commitment for our task. One of my clients who was working on losing weight shared with me that she was feeling hurt by an exchange with a friend. The friend had mentioned that she hadn't seen my client at exercise class lately. Immediately, my client felt guilty for not working out more. She assumed the friend thought she was lazy and overweight. As I discussed this with my client, I asked her the first question. Is it true that you haven't been at workout? She confirmed that it was true. I asked her what she was making this fact mean. She said she felt like she was lazy and overweight. Then I asked her if she wanted to change anything about what she was doing. 
She said it was actually really hard to get to work out with her baby's schedule. I asked her if she liked her reason for not going. She said that if she could do it over, she would still do the same thing because she really valued her baby's sleep. When she first heard the comment from her friend, my client felt awkward and inadequate. But as we reviewed her reasons, she was able to gain confidence about her own decision not to go to workout. She was able to recognize that she wanted to keep going with her behavior, even if her friend didn't like it. It also allowed her to stop beating herself up. Instead of thinking, I'm lazy and fat, she could think, I'm a great mom. I help my baby get great sleep. Criticism can actually be a great catalyst for revisiting our reasons for doing something and then deciding if we want to keep going with it. It can give us confidence moving forward. One of the questions I often get about criticism is, should I tell the person who criticized me how I feel? Handling criticism well does not necessarily mean that we decide we're fine with what the person said. Sometimes the most appropriate action is to respond to the criticism and share with someone how it made you feel. The brain loves to be right. It puts us into cognitive dissonance when we know something to be one way about ourselves and somebody else thinks something different. Our immediate response is usually to try to defend ourselves and try to clarify. One way you can determine whether or not it's a good idea to say something is to ask yourself this question. Why do I want to have this conversation? If you're hoping the other person will apologize or change, you might want to consider waiting to respond. Others can sense our motives, and if they feel they are trying to be controlled or manipulated, most people resist. Both parties often end up feeling worse. A healthier motive to approach a difficult conversation is love. Conversations about criticism are much more successful if the motive is to share information or to feel closer to the other person by being vulnerable. Thoughts motivated by love might include things like, I want to clarify something. I want to provide information. I want to increase connection. I want to make a request of somebody or clarify a boundary. One time, someone said something that really hurt me. I actually don't get offended very easily, but this exchange was really painful. I knew the person didn't intend to hurt me, and I tried to brush it off, but it continued to bother me, and I found myself carrying around resentment and frustration, sort of like the doorbell analogy we talked about at the beginning of the episode. In the past, I often avoided confrontation with this person as I knew they were often defensive and it didn't seem productive to confront them. I tried telling myself, I just need to get over it. However, the more I tried to ignore it, the more my resentment and irritation grew. The truth is I really cared about this person and I could see that this was driving a wedge between us. I felt defensive around this person and I wanted to feel close to them again. I knew it would require a difficult conversation. As I examined my motives, I realized I did want an apology. I let myself feel hurt for a while. I allowed the pain. Before we can move to a cleaner space in our minds, we often have to allow ourselves to feel the feelings our brain is offering us. Our feelings bring important messages. I talk more about how to process our emotions rather than resist them in episode four. As I allowed myself to feel hurt, the emotional pain began to lessen. I could see a little more clearly. I was able to acknowledge that this person wasn't even aware that what they had said was hurtful. I decided I wanted to share with this person how this exchange had impacted me. In addition to imp- examining your motives, you'll also want to make sure that you define what success is in the conversation. Make sure that your definition of success is something that's 100% in your control. 
For example, you wouldn't want to define success as the the fact that the other person apologizes because that isn't something you get to control. But defining success as I communicated how I felt and tried to clarify a misperception allows us to leave feeling good about ourselves and others regardless of how the other person responds. I tried to get clean with myself that success meant I was able to share how the exchange had made me feel. I prepared myself that this person may or may not respond, or they may or may not agree to stop. This person had a track record of being defensive, so I knew they might not change a response. I decided that success was just what I was able to do. I would share the facts about the exchange and I would do it in a spirit of love. I would be curious about this person and what they were thinking and feeling. I would make a request about what would be helpful in the future. But regardless of their response or behavior, I would feel successful if I fulfilled my part of the conversation in love. Because I went in in this frame of mind, I was able to approach the conversation in a way that did not make the other person feel as defensive as they had been in the past. There was some awkwardness, as there usually is with difficult conversations. The person confirmed that they had no idea that they had hurt me and said that they would be more careful next time. We chatted a bit more and I understood where they were coming from when they had said the comment. We parted on a a positive note. Ironically, I felt closer to this person and they felt closer to me after this exchange. If we approach communicating about criticism in a deliberate state of mind, communicating can actually help our relationships. Sometimes communicating is the right thing, but other times I find that it's not very helpful. Sometimes we just cannot get ourselves to a healthy frame of mind and we know we'll explode at the other person. Other times there isn't an opportunity to say something, or sometimes saying things can make things worse. What we don't want to do is to keep thinking about the comment over and over like the doorbell. This creates resentment. In these cases, one thought I have found helpful to free myself from the crippling effects of others' judgments is to think, it's okay if this person is wrong about me. One summer when we were back in the U.S., someone was talking about a struggle in her suburban life and said to me, you wouldn't understand. You're always off globetrotting and living an exotic life. You even have a household helper. Her comments stunned me. To me, it felt like she was saying I was unrelatable because I lived abroad. When I felt I was struggling with many similar things, and sometimes even longing for her suburban life, I wasn't sure what to say in the moment, and I wasn't sure that trying to enumerate all the struggles of living abroad would be helpful. I chose not to say anything, but I found myself thinking about the exchange over and over again. My brain wanted to defend all the reasons I was relatable. I wanted to say how much life is the same wherever you live, and there was so much we shared. I had to remind myself that of course she didn't know what life was like abroad, and it was okay that she didn't. It was okay if she was wrong about me. She was doing her best to navigate her own life and perceptions. I didn't have to make her comment mean that I wasn't a relatable person, and I didn't even necessarily have to communicate that to her. There is a lot of freedom in allowing others to be wrong about you. It allows you to stop trying to have to convince people about how you really are. And it frees you up just to be who you want to be. I love this quote from the book Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. In the book, Marmee, who's the mother, is talking to Joe. And she says, 
You have a good many little gifts and virtues, but there is no need of parading them, for conceit spoils the finest genius. There is not much danger that real talent or goodness will be overlooked long. Even if it is, the consciousness of possessing and using it well should satisfy one, and the great charm of all power is modesty. I love how this quote articulates that satisfaction can lie in being good. It doesn't have to be only in others recognizing the good in us. And I love that little reassurance that when we truly are good or right or talented, it's not likely that it will be overlooked for very long. How many times have you had a perception of someone and then later you realize it wasn't accurate? People change perceptions over time. Allowing them to be wrong about you is empowering. Finally, sometimes when we're criticized, we decide not to respond with words, but we still decide to take action to protect ourselves, especially if the criticism is repeated over and over. I have a friend who has a difficult relationship with her mother. Her mother suffers with some mental illness. Her mother is constantly criticizing my friend and often tries to manipulate her into doing things that aren't reasonable or fair. My friend decided to react by saying no to some of the things that her mother kept requesting. And my friend has changed how often she interacts with her mom. Sometimes actions speak louder than words. At the beginning of the episode, we talked about the broken doorbell syndrome, the way that others' comments can replay over and over in our minds and cause discouragement, resentment, and irritation, all of which erode our relationships. Criticism does not have to create negativity for you and your relationships. You don't have to experience the broken doorbell syndrome we talked about at the beginning of the episode. By simply asking yourself a few questions before you respond to another's criticism, you can create a space from which to act deliberately. In this way, you allow yourself room to handle the criticism better and even benefit from it. We benefit by feeling less negativity, by improving ourselves, by gaining more confidence about what we're doing, and by strengthening our relationships by communicating better. Here's a recap of the two questions you can ask yourself when someone criticizes you. Number one, is there truth or some element of truth in this criticism? Regardless of whether you agree or you don't agree with the criticism, you'll want to ask yourself the question, what do I want to do about it? And then decide, do you want to change or not change? Do you want to communicate or not communicate? all of which can lead to good outcomes. If you'd like help navigating a difficult relationship or working through criticism or any other topic, sign up for a mini coaching session and I'd love to help. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. If you'd like help applying the tools you're learning on this podcast, sign up for a free private 30 minute mini coaching session on any topic you'd like help on. You can schedule it on my website, theexpatmom.com forward slash schedule. Also, if you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find it. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.